Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John 20, verses 19 to 29, and 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the locked doors for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Okay, now we're going to move to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Hello, everyone. Now, I have two stories from uh, this Wednesday that I'm going to tell you. And I want you to tell me which one Uh, your faith tells you uh, that God was most present in. So the first story, Wednesday morning uh, was one of those, this is my story. Wednesday morning was one of those mornings where if something could take longer than it normally would, it did. Bad sleep, so I woke up uh, too late. Bad construction on dropping my daughter off at school. Adding to have to come home to finish getting ready for the day because I hadn't been able to get ready before having to drive my daughter to school. Heading to work, you know, I'm already way behind. 
or getting ready to head to her work, I'm way behind. Then, of course, you know, a number of important emails that I needed to send before the morning got any later. So, I, you know, I did that. And then, of course, you know, something came up for my wife. So then I had to walk the dog, who, of course, was being very stubborn that morning and so insisted on being very slow and lazy. And, of course, when I'm finally, like, on the way almost home, we run into a neighbor and their dog. So then it's a battle to get my dog uh, away because she just wants to play. She finally gets some energy that she didn't have before. And all of these little things adding up to me being almost two hours later than I wanted to drive to work. And so anxious and stressed about the weight of the day and the ramifications of being so late and that the impossibility of getting everything done that I needed to, as I'm pulling up to a traffic light to turn out of my neighborhood, it was a green light for me. Um, so, so finally, you know, something seems to be going in my favor. I see on the pedestrian crossing area... Uh, an eight, to, you know, eight to ten-year-old girl with a development, with a developmental disability, in an electric mobility scooter, who stopped dead in the middle of the road, uh, and her nanny, who is unable to move this dead scooter, is freaking out as you know the flashing hand uh, is counting down to zero and the lights about to change. And so without thinking, I, I stopped the car, I ran out and I ran across the intersection and using my mighty strength, well, just kidding, using what strength I had, I was able, with a lot of effort, to drag the scooter with the girl on it um, out of the intersection just as cars started to roll through uh, this busy intersection. So being there at that precise moment was dependent on and thanks to the events of my frustrating morning. And because of that, I was able to be a blessing to this young child and this stressed-out nanny in the midst of a traumatic and potentially dangerous moment. Okay, so that's my Wednesday morning. The second story is about Sam, Sam Lee. Sam also had a rough Wednesday morning. To add a little backstory to it, and you'll think that's funny once I get to where this is going. Maybe you won't. It's not actually funny at all. Anyway, adding some backstory. As you know, Sam has recently come back from a four-month sabbatical, which in many ways means that, you know, he's in a healthier place mentally and spiritually. But it also means he has a lot to catch up on with the craziness of the fall and opening up next Sunday. And above all, of course, you know, the sheer joy of working with me again. Well... It's possible I may be projecting some of my own uh, feelings on Sam there, but anyway. So his Wednesday started out, though, it started with a bad sleep as well, but not for the same reasons as mine. His, bad, uh, his was bad because Tuesday night, seemingly out of nowhere, he developed excruciating back pain, which kept him up all night and came, come Wednesday morning, he was in so much pain he wasn't even able to get out of bed. So while I'm stressing about being late to work and a stubborn dog, he is in the middle of excruciating pain and coming to terms with the fact that not only would he not be accomplishing anything for the day or for multiple days, uh, but that he was going to be enduring through this unbearable pain for an unknown amount of time. So you take these two stories from the perspective of your faith, which one do you see God in? The way my Wednesday turned out, many of us would think, and we use 
think, sayings like, God's good the way that he orchestrates all things together. Or God does all things good for those who love him. Or see, everything happens for a reason. But do you say the same thing when you hear Sam's torturous back pain? Perhaps another way to ask the question is, if our faith is centered on God's pulling all of the strings to orchestrate everything, then my Wednesday's story appears to strengthen and to confirm your faith. But what about Sam's Wednesday? If your faith, if our faith is dependent on that understanding of God, then Sam's Wednesday should crumble and tear at our faith and make us doubt God. Then, of course, what about COVID? What about Afghanistan? If our faith is dependent on God acting in a way that is in accordance with our formulas, then what is our faith really in? This morning, we are reflecting on faith, particularly as we heard in the passage that was read for us, faith that remains, faith that abides. That word remains is the same word when Jesus said, I abide in you and you abide in me or remain and you remain in me. Faith remains. And while I'm not going to come anywhere near solving problems of pandemics or back pain, I do pray that our time this morning will leave us at least encouraged in our faith in the midst of our individual and communal struggles. I remember a time, and some of us probably, maybe in this room, maybe three quarters of us may remember this time, when you had to keep a map in your car. For those of you who don't know this, a map is a physical book, paper, that shows you pictures of what streets and things look like. It is the equivalent of when you look at Google Maps. It is that, but believe it or not, on paper. And you had to keep this paper map in your car. Uh, we always had an Ontario map and a Toronto map. So that if, you know, if we were outgoing to an unfamiliar part of the city or the province, you could figure out how to get where you wanted to go. If you're really planning advance, you could call CAA and get something called a triptych where they would print out your whole route for you and use a highlighter marker, somebody laboriously taking hours of just highlighting through other people's uh, vacation maps. I could figure out how, wh how to get where I wanted to go. And I, like many of us, put a lot of faith in those maps, especially if we got lost. But every once in a while, though, and I'm sure there are others of you who've had this experience, every once in a while you would look at the map, and then you would look at the street, and you'd know that something was seriously wrong. Because either the street was now just a one way, and you couldn't go that way anymore, or somehow was a dead end. Or sometimes when you weren't, the street you were looking for doesn't even exist anymore. And you realize you simply, you don't know how to navigate this situation. Now, COVID has been like that, I think, for many of us. It's like we have been journeying through life with maps that help us navigate the terrain, but all of a sudden, the familiar roads seem foreign to us, and our maps haven't updated since the change. And we need help navigating the terrain to find our way. We want someone to make us a new map 
that now will give us all of the rules and all of the, the signs and the streets and, and the turns. They want, we want someone to give us a new map that will lay out the way before us for how we are to be and go on our journey. We want a map that we can put faith in that won't steer us wrong. We want a map that we can refresh every five minutes or hit the, you know, hit, hit the, uh, the button. I do this when I'm driving with Waze. I do this, like, especially if I'm on the 400. I do it like every five minutes just to see if traffic's changed at all and I need to alter my route. We want maps that can refresh every few minutes so that we can see our way through a new reality where everything is marked out for us. Streets and buildings and hills and parks and distances and travel times and construction zones and even where the police might have a speed trap. I've never, you know, had to take advantage of the fact that Louise tells me there's a speed trap coming up. Anyway, I'm sorry. So we want a map that makes sense of everything that we see, that lays out the route for us for every step of our journey, that tells us when to turn left, to turn to right, and when to go straight. And through COVID, we, our maps were taken away from us, and we are still looking for something to just give us a new map. And at times like this pandemic come in and remind us that our confidence in our maps is poorly placed. No matter how well-constructed, no matter how good the coding is, they are not sure. They will fail, and they are not worthy of all of our trust. I was going to say, you know, they will be, you know, to be thrown in the fire and destroyed, but hopefully, you know, it, we threw them in the recycling bin to be turned into some other new paper product. Leonard Sweet who was an influential Christian writer during the mid-2000s. Uh, I don't know, maybe he's still writing and he wouldn't like me to refer to him in the past tense. Sorry about that, Leonard. He wrote a book called Aqua Church, where he challenges the church to stop trying to create maps for our faith. For maps will always fail us. Even when they are accurate, they are still just but a two-dimensional picture of a three-dimensional reality. He also challenges what was a common idea at the time, and which may be still for some of us, is this idea that the Bible is a map. That it, the Bible is a map with all of the details, that if you just follow the instructions exactly as they're written, you will arrive at your destination. And of course, the destination for most who uh, b like this picture is, does anyone know that B-I-B-L-E, uh, what it stands for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Does anyone remember that? Anyway, it's terrible. Anyway, so that was the, uh, the idea is the Bible is just a map that gives us all of the details. And we just need to follow these instructions. And it's, it's a perfect map of a never-changing reality. But Leonard's point is that the Bible is not a map. It is a compass. And Jesus is the North Star. The idea of the metaphor is that Jesus as the North Star is always true. He's always trustworthy, never changing, never needed to be updated or refreshed. We can always rely on the North Star to give us our bearings. And the Bible, like a compass, helps us to navigate through the unfamiliar terrain of life not with step-by-step -step instructions, but with tools and symbols for navigating through our journey with the North Star as our source, our guide, and ultimately the only sure place to put our trust and our confidence. 
However, as we know, one day the stars will burn out, for even they are not eternal. But Jesus, the true North Star, he will never burn out. He will never fade away. He will always remain. He will always abide, and his light will never stop shining or providing a sure and trustworthy place to find our bearings in life. Even when the train is hard and surprising, even when it appears that the mountains and the rivers and the streets have somehow moved, Jesus is always faithful and true. One of the passages that uh, was read for us, the passage of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, uh, is uh, one of my favorite stories. It's a story of the day uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. So for those unfamiliar with the story, you know, Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, he was hung on a cross and died on a Friday. Then on the Sunday morning, the tomb where Jesus was buried was empty. His body was gone, and the disciples locked themselves in a house together uh, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had, the leaders who had had Jesus killed, they were afraid that those leaders might be coming for them. So they were hidden in this room. And so hiding in this room, the resurrected Jesus all of a sudden appears in the room with them. And as the Gospel of John tells us in the last uh, uh, half of John 20, verse 19, it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So keep this in mind, right? So Jesus appears, and he shows them his hands and his side. He shows them his hands that were pierced by nails from when he was hung on the cross, and his side had a wound from where a soldier had stabbed him, when he was hanging on, a cro- on the cross, stabbed him with a spear. So he shows them these wounds. And it was after they saw his hand and his side that they recognized Jesus and they became overjoyed. So then the passage continues on. And we learn that Thomas, who was one of Jesus' 12 kind of main disciples, what we call the apostles, that Thomas wasn't actually there at the time. And so when Thomas heard what he had missed, he didn't believe them. And to verse 25, Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. For centuries, Thomas has been given the nickname Doubting Thomas because he doubted what the disciples had told him. He's been an example of doubt. Well, for some reason, the disciples have been made into an example of of faith, as if the disciples didn't doubt, but Thomas did. Now, I think this is one of those Bible stories that we remember what people told us about them 
instead of actually remembering what the Bible actually says. First of all, let's remember how the disciples came to believe. The Gospel of Luke, uh, one of the other books of the Bible that tells us the story of Jesus' resurrection, he tells us that Mary and the other woman, they went to the tomb and they found it empty. And after seeing this and having an encounter with an angel, they went back and they told the disciples. And Luke tells us uh, in uh, chapter 22, verse 11, did I write down the right, uh, sorry, chapter 24, verse 11, the woman tell the disciples and it says, but the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. I can make a lot of jokes about men not listening to women uh, here, but I'm going to try to avoid that. The disciples did not believe because they had not seen for themselves. Right? So just like Thomas, they hadn't believed because they hadn't seen. Then back at the house later that night, Jesus appears to all of them except for Thomas. And what took away their doubt? What caused them to believe their friend Lord Jesus had risen from the dead? It was because they saw his hands and his side. So now let's think about Thomas. For some reason, I, I feel so bad for Thomas. For some reason, Thomas wasn't in the room at the time. We don't know why he wasn't there, but we do know that the rest of them were all hiding because they were scared, which means that for whatever reason, Thomas had enough courage to be out doing whatever he was doing. Perhaps they were doing their, he was doing their grocery shopping for them, uh, because, you know, you can't go with your friends to the store in the midst of, you know, this time. And they hadn't started home delivery uh, yet. But either way, Thomas had courage to be not safe hiding, but to be outside of the room. And Jesus, for some reason, decides that this was the time that he was going to come. He would wait for Thomas to leave, and then he would show up. And what's more, even knowing that poor Thomas was left out of this life-changing experience, and he didn't believe his friends, and he was likely feeling like an outsider, Jesus decides to leave poor Thomas in this state for another whole week before he shows up again. Instead of calling him Doubting Thomas, we should call him Poor Thomas or Excluded Thomas or something more appropriate. It makes me think about the times that I've felt like Thomas that some, I, somehow I had missed out. The way others talk about their faith, the way that Jesus revealed himself to them, but somehow seems to have left me out of that. That God didn't work in my life the way he has in their lives, or that they simply had more faith than I do. And in my insecurity, it makes me question where I've placed my faith. But the thing is, even the disciples, these great heroes of the New Testament, they didn't believe until they saw. Not just Thomas, but all of them. When Jesus finally appears and shows himself to Thomas, Thomas, who said he needed to actually touch Jesus to believe, Thomas doesn't actually need to touch Jesus if you read the passage. But it was seeing the same thing is what the passage tells us, that seeing the same thing the disciples saw, the hands and the side, he believed. So even Jesus' closest friends and followers did not believe without seeing. The map they were using for how God worked in the world 
had kept them from understanding what was going on. I mean, the, the more we read the New Testament and the Gospels, the more aware we are that the disciples really didn't get what was going on. And that was mostly because they were so ingrained in what they thought God was going to do that they could not see what God was actually doing. The map they were using kept them from understanding what was going on until they saw Jesus' hands inside and they knew for sure that this friend, this Lord, had that Jesus was truly the Lord who had rose from the dead. Their surety and their confidence in their religious understandings and certainties only kept them from believing in the deepest and greatest reality in all of the cosmos, that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Jesus' response to them in verse 29, Jesus tells them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Even for Jesus' closest friends, spent three years at his side, they held on to their religious and their experiential knowledge, which framed how God was supposed to work that the Messiah, what the Messiah was supposed to do, and it kept them from the blessing of believing without seeing. And so a question to reflect on for each of us is what certainties do you have, what certainties do we have about how God works in the world that actually keeps limits, that puts limits on your faith in Jesus? Yesterday, as many of us know, was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It was the day militant Islamic terrorist group Al-Qaeda coordinated four attacks. uh, And the most emblematic of them, of course, was being the airplanes that crashed into the Twin Towers. Before 9-11, Western culture thought that religious faith was on a decline. And that one day it would all but disappear. That seemed to be the trajectory. But 9-11, and this is, these are the words of uh, Brian McLaren, who uh, if you are interested in, Brian McLaren has, and Trip Fuller and Diana Butler, I just forgot her last name. Anyway, have a really interesting uh, uh, podcast reflecting on the last 20 years, uh, what has happened in Christianity as a result of 9-11. I encourage you, if that interests you, it's, it's, it is interesting to listen to. So Brian McLaren points out that 9-11 showed people that religion is here for good, but perhaps not for good. It was a time we re- that, the, that the West realized religion was here to stay for good, But perhaps what it had to offer the world was not good. And as a result, it created an increase in Islamophobia. It increased unjustified hatred towards millions of not only Muslims, but simply anyone with brown skin. A small group of fundamentalist extremists inspired fear and hatred of millions in the West. And you'd think that a moment like this would have caused the world to reject fundamentalism as a valid or as a good form of faith. But ironically, 
What it did, and we've seen over the past 20 years, instead of seeing a decline in fundamentalism, we've actually seen an increase in extreme religious certainty that leads to acts of hate. Both on, on both extremes, left, right, whatever measurement you want to use, on both extremes, we've seen an increase of it. And sadly, we've seen this increase within Christianity. Christianity's response to his Islamic attack was to become more extreme and fundamentalist and look more like that extreme, uh, uh, the extreme Islam, which doesn't represent most people, most Muslims, Christianity, we've seen this, those extremes have grown instead of rejecting that type of fundamentalism in its own faith. And these are people who love Jesus. It's crazy. I want to read a quote from a book by a Catholic author named Drasko Dizdar. Oh, man. I like to quote him because I just love saying his name. It's awesome. Anyway. That's not actually why I quote from him. I, I, anyway. So I hope that this brings, I've, I've been having some, sharing different reflections on faith. And, and for me, this kind of brings things together. He writes that faith is the open door to mystery. As doubt is its frame and hinges and planks. So faith is the open door to mystery. As doubt is the frame and hinges and plank, planks. We pass through the doorway, I guess if you're coming in, or I guess I'm going this way, I don't know. When you pass through the doorway by means of faith and into mystery, just as we can get stuck in the doorway by doubt and fear. Certainty is a closed door of, to, and by doubt. So certainty, certainty, the more certain we are, is actually a closed door to faith that leads us to the mystery of God. And it is either religious or atheistic fundamentalism. Back to the quote, faith is but the way into mystery, a vast and open space that opens our own minds and our hearts to question with courage, to wonder with love, to seek with compassion, to grow in freedom. God is inexhaustible mystery. Let me read that one line again. Faith is but the way into mystery, a vast and open space that opens our minds and hearts to question with courage, to wonder with love, to seek with compassion and to grow in freedom. When we think that we have God figured out, our fundamentalist certainty actually closes the door to faith and it keeps us from seeing the mystery of God. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Another book of the New Testament gives us a definition uh, of faith, although it is, yeah, it gives us a, de- a definition of faith. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. The author of Hebrews then goes on to give many examples of people who have lived by faith. Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Rahab and, and on and on. 
And these were not perfect people by any means. Now, except for, perhaps for Rahab, they all made considerable mistakes that we know of from the story. Interestingly, again, for those who think us figured it out, it was the prostitute. <laughs> it was the prostitute who doesn't appear to have ever had done these like terrible mistakes, but all of the rest of them have done terrible, immoral stuff. So we got to change the way that we... Anyway, that's a different sermon. So they've all made considerable, yeah, these terrible, horrendous mistakes. I mean, Abraham is like the worst of them. He literally prostrates his wife to keep himself safe twice. Like it's bad stuff going on here. Yet even with their failures and their doubts, they are still commended and not by their righteousness, but by their faith. None of them were given a map with the route laid out for them. And in fact, as the author of Hebrews points out, none of them even received what had been promised to them. The thing that they had placed their faith in, and both with mistakes and with faithfulness, that had, they had pursued this promise, they never received what was promised to them in their lifetime. But their insurance, assurance was in something they could not see, but that they knew was worth putting their faith in. No, actually, let me correct that. Their assurance was not in something, but in someone who was trustworthy, sure, and never failing. Faith, and this is going to... You know, some people might not like this. You can talk to me about it afterwards. But I think that faith that lasts is not about our belief. It is not about where we place our trust, but about who we trust. About who, in whom we place our trust. Our knowledge and our ideas and our doctrine, as the book of Corinthians tells us, these things are all going to pass away like the stars. But God, who is faithful, will never pass away. God's love is unfailing. And even when we can't always see it, we can believe it and trust in it with Jesus as our guiding star. The disciples needed certainty before they could believe in Jesus. And it became to them a closed door of faith. Fortunately for them and for us, God is good. He pursued them. God is faithful even when we are faithless. And he is revealing himself even when we have closed our eyes to the mystery of who he is. In God's goodness and faithfulness, God does care about the big and the little things in our lives. Whether a kid stranded on a dead scooter or a traumatic immobilizing back pain. Even when we don't see and don't understand how or why God is moving the love and faithfulness of the resurrected Jesus, the North Star that lights our way in the, into the unknown is a sure and solid foundation for our faith. No matter how hard this year has been, no matter the impact that it has had on your faith, God is calling you, God is calling us, reminding us of his faithfulness. God's promise is sure even when we are unsure. The mystery of God is infinitely greater than what we see and know, and this is where our faith is well placed. So let us walk together into the unknown, the unseen, the ungrasped, through the doorway of faith and into the mystery of God. 
God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Amen.